I trust that many of the songs that you heard today will resonate in your heart and mind, and that those theological truths that you heard, you will incorporate into your life in the year 2020. Great theology in those songs. Uh, We are reminded that Christ went hard after us to lay hold of us, is what it says in Philippians, thus we should go hard after him to lay hold of him. If you're a believer, that's what you should be all about in 2020. On my way in this morning, the radio was on, and uh, this lady says uh, she has made resolutions at times and broken them, and she said, one I will not make is that I will not use sugar, because I will, right? There's no sense in making those kinds, and I agree with that. And then she says, my real goal this year is more of a mental thing, where I need to make sure that I uh, look out for number one, myself, do what's first for me, best for me, right? And I'm happy. Uh, That, to me, is not a good resolution, right? That I am number one and I do everything what's best for me. Now, I know that sounds like America, right? We shouldn't let that, we shouldn't get all up in arms about that because the natural person does not discern the things of God. Lost people do not discern the things of God, that Christ should be first, that we should follow Him, and that we should love our neighbor. We don't. The world doesn't think like that, but we're believers in here today, right? If you're saved, and if you are, Christ has taken hold of you. Thus, all of life should be, let me press to take hold of him. Paul says, this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, I press toward the mark of the high calling which is in Christ Jesus. This one thing I do. I would like for that to be me in 2020, right? This one thing I do. Uh, forgetting those things which are behind. Well, we get the unique privilege of studying the most well-known section or narrative in the book of Daniel this morning. Daniel's name has been forever linked to what? A lion's den. I think the lions were really in the den with Daniel, right? Don't you? With the Lord in control. But Daniel and the lion's den, as well as another phrase you will hear, the law of the Medes and Persians, They both work their way into our language. So this event is so significant that when you get to the hall of faith, which is found in Hebrews chapter 11, the writer of Hebrews will say, who through faith stopped the mouths of lions. So it's important, as it's echoed in the New Testament for us, it stands out as a hallmark for determined faith and the incredible delivering power of God. Now, before we read it, I want you to know that the liberal scholars question the authenticity and historicity of this story. Do y'all find that impossible to believe? Uh, That liberal scholars would think that it really didn't happen. Some folk call it a tale or a fable or or a made-up, make-believe story. But we gladly and confidently approach this narrative like we do the entire Bible. That all Scripture is given by inspiration, theonoustos, inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, reproof. Notice, all Scripture. And I want to remind you that when the writer said that at first, he was only referring to the Old Testament because that's the only Scriptures we had. So all Scripture is given by inspiration. So we confidently approach this passage as a real story about a real man 
who by supernatural protection from Almighty God escaped the claws and the jaws of real lions. And why did God do this? So that the nations would know that the God of Daniel is the living God. And that He endures forever. And His kingdom will never be destroyed and His dominion has no end. Uh, I just gave you Daniel 6.26, by the way. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. All right. So as we approach this chapter, we realize that Daniel has been faithfully serving the king for 70 years in Babylon. That's a long time, folks. Daniel is probably 85 years old at this time. And for the most part, the Babylonian kingdom itself has, be, has been unchanged. Just think about this. He lived through epic changes in kingdoms and structures and those who would be kings and those who would be rulers. And how did these rulers turn out? Well, most of them were idolatrous, they were wicked, and they were cruel. And even God's own chosen people, the Israelites, despite all of Daniel's frequent movements up in position, and power, they pretty much remained unchanged, right? No great revival swept through Babylon as a result of Daniel's ministry. No national repentance in Babylon like you see in Nineveh when Jonah went down to Nineveh and God granted them repentance. For all of Daniel's wisdom, for all of his integrity, for all of his faithfulness, Daniel pretty much reaped the jealousy of his peers, the hatred of the ungodly, a plot to take his life, a night's stay in a lion's den. Does it really seem that after 70 years, Daniel made much of a big splash? But Daniel was faithful. Why? Because God is faithful. Which is, which is the thematic structure of chapter 6. We're not, we're not in here to draw flan to take flannel graphs and do little, little ditties in Sunday school. Now, that's okay at times, but you just tell a moralistic story and you miss that God is faithful behind here. It is the God of, uh, it is King of Kings and Lord of Lords who is faithful. Thus, Daniel is faithful. Why? Because God went hard after Daniel. Thus, Daniel goes hard after the Lord. This is not a moralistic story. Just be like a Daniel or dare to be a Daniel. There's something bigger in this than just those principles. So, what we need to see is that Daniel proved faithful to God because our God is faithful. So since God is faithful, we all ought to conduct ourselves in faithfulness. Now, let's begin reading chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. I will break it in three divisions so that you can rest and stand and stretch as we go through this long narrative. No, seriously, let your mind stretch and listen. Just First sermon of the year, right? Relax. You pray that God will give you spiritual antennas to hear. That your mind will be clear. That your heart will be receptive. That you'll behold wonderful things from the Word to go into 2020. Listen. So it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. And over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. In other words, that's kind of checks and balances. Integrity of the satrap, so they have three over them. 
Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps. Because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground of complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful. And no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the perfects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors, are all agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for thirty days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions." Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. And therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. Check this out. Talking about resolve. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. Daniel got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. I think the old KJV says, as was his custom. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man within thirty days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast, according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, he pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Now, O king, know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king has established can be changed. So God is faithful. God is faithful even when Daniel is in the lion's den. Right? That's what he's facing because of his faithfulness. So the first thing I would like for you to see is that we need to remain faithful to God even when it may cost you. In 1 through 15, we see this. We see the faithfulness of Daniel. Now, again, the ending verse of chapter 30, of chapter 5, verse 31, and, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years of old age. Now, we know, we've talked about Darius, and we say, who is this? Well, the skinny of it, the long and short of it is, he is actually Cyrus the Persian. And you can study this on your own. Trust me, you do not want me to bore you with this. But the fact is, Jewish-speaking people or people who were of the Jewish nationality, he would have been referred to as Darius the Mede, but from others, Cyrus the Persian. So Darius was his Median name, and Cyrus was his Persian name. 
And how do we know this? Well, because Isaiah 44 and 45 will tell us that one named Cyrus is going to come forth and that Cyrus is going to be the one after 70 years that God is going to use to send the Israelites back to their homeland to rebuild the walls. So chronologically, it only fits if Darius' name is actually Cyrus the Persian. So you can hit me after church if you want to argue about that, but I can show you where that comes from. I don't think most of you really care, right? Not a whole lot. But the issue is, uh, we have to look at the context of Scripture. Understand, Daniel lived his life with an understanding of Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Isaiah. Firmly planted in his mind. Those oracles had already been given to those men. Daniel knew the book of Jeremiah. He knew Isaiah. He knew uh, Daniel would have anticipated. Why He's been in the kingdom how many years? Seventy. How many years are they going to be in captivity? Come on, folks. Have y'all read y'all's Bible? Come on. Seventy years, correct? So Daniel would have been aware of all of these things. So I just tell you that to let you know that this is Cyrus the Persian, whom God would raise up, a heathen, someone who doesn't know the Lord. And Isaiah 44 actually calls him a Messiah-type figure, not because he's saved or a Messiah, but because God will use him to deliver his own people. So, in other words, you got lost people proclaiming the greatness of our God. That's pretty good, isn't it? Uh, God can make the very rocks cry out, folks, in honor of his name if he so chooses. So that's, that's what's going on. So quickly, 1 through 15, we need to remain faithful to God. So Darius, or Cyrus, he establishes a new governmental structure. It's really what you see here. It's different from the normal Babylonian structure. He's going to give these 120 satraps. He's going to put... These are like provincial governors over areas. And then he's going to take these three administrators and put them over the 120. And amazingly, Daniel is one of the three. He's in a high position. Uh, he would have been known, I believe, by the Medes. So Daniel surely knew the prophecies concerning Cyrus. Isaiah 44 and 45. There's no question. As you study the book of Daniel, that he's aware of Isaiah's writings, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. And I'm sure that he was excited to know that there was a name, a name rising in the east, and his name was Cyrus. After Belshazzar was slain, we studied that one, right? The handwriting on the wall. Evidently, Daniel was promoted. And the text makes it clear that who stands out among all of them? Daniel. According to the Bible, the reason the Bible says he has an extraordinary spirit in him. Now, I take that to mean from a pagan perspective, because again, these are pagans looking in at Daniel. I take that to mean that Daniel was controlled by the Holy Spirit of God in his life, which led to his wisdom, which led to his graciousness, which led to him being firm in his commitment to God. It gave him a character that stands out among all his peers. Can't we stand some of that today? Right? That's really all that he was doing. Joel believes, well said this. Daniel set the standard for Christians who would hold public office. He was a serious man about his statecraft. But he was more serious about the fact that he was a servant of the living God. And he was determined to follow God's precepts no matter what it would cost him. Now, I don't know what y'all think, but I think in the year 2020, we could stand some of that in our political structures, whether it be our city or our state or nationally. 
we could stand some men who cared more about being a servant of the Most High God than they did about any lobbyist or any money under the table or whatever that might be. Daniel did not live that way. The text indicated that he was such a man of character that the, the, the emperor thought of putting him over second, over the entire nation. So he was placed right under the emperor. Now, the emperor liked him, or Darius liked him, but not everybody liked him, right? Because these administrators get together, they're seeking an accusation to go against him. Again, Daniel is faithful to God, right? No matter what it's going to cost him. And maybe it stemmed from religious hostility, anti-Semitism. It's possible that they just said, hey, these are Jewish men, we don't like them. And that is possible. Uh, we are reminded for Haman's, we are reminded of Haman's hatred for who? Mordecai, because of Mordecai's faith. But it also could be just professional jealousy. Anybody ever dealt with that before? Somebody got the promotion, and it was you, and you were a believer, and somebody's like, well, why didn't I get the promotion? And maybe it's just a professional jealousy type thing. Why? Because, again, in a little while they're going to say, that slave from Judah, that exile from Judah is not obeying you. Well, it could have just easily been that he's a slave. He's not much more than just a little menial slave, and yet you promoted him to this. But they join in a common cause to get rid of Daniel. Daniel was a threat to them. Whether it was professionalism or whether it was jealousy, whatever that may be, he was a threat Incidentally, I want to remind you that if you choose to live godly in Christ Jesus, you will suffer persecution. And to a lost world, you will seem as a threat. Anytime you gain it, anytime you're promoted, uh, people are going to seek to gain an advantage against you in some kind of form. Of course, the Bible says that Daniel is of no reproach. He is blameless. It's an amazing thing. Uh, Maybe they pulled together the Washington Post, the L.A. Times, the New York Times, and, and of all, even that kind of media. They can't find one thing to indict this Daniel. He's absolutely above reproach before all of them. There's no corruption in him. There's not even any neglect. When he is given something to do, he does it with utmost integrity. He did it efficiently, and he did so with character. Which reminds us, the greatest citizens in the world ought to be Christians. Amen? We should be. So they began to realize that if we're going to find any charge against this Daniel, and don't you love the statement, we're going to have to find it in relation to his God or how he responds to his God's law. His life, up to this point, had been a visible testimony before everybody. You know, some of us feel like that we need to live as secret service Christians. That we only come out when we're pushed or, or when we have to. That's not the way Daniel lived. This guy lived an incredible witness before the king. It was a visible testimony. we got to get him in regards to his faith, to his God, if we're going to get him. I wonder what would happen if the people you work with decided to go after you and find something wrong. Don't we all hope and pray that it would be only something that they could attack us about because of our loyalty to Jesus. Man, that was quiet in here, wasn't it? Don't you wish that if they were going to come after you, you walk with such integrity before God 
They couldn't find any corruption in you whatsoever. So they would have to resort to saying, we got to get this guy in trouble because of his service to Jesus. Wow. But they come up with this brilliant strategy, don't they? Don't you love this? We all agree. They all agreed based upon all the ones they ask, right? Which Daniel should, surely was not one of the ones they asked, but we're in 100% agreement. Now, the fact is, it could have just been that they are trying to appeal to Darius's pride. Now, that's a, that's a, a definite thing that could have been going on here, kind of like a, you're God for a day type thing. Or for 30 days, you're going to be God. Or we're going to actually build you a statue or name an airport after you. Could have been something like that. But it also could have been something to do with his benevolence. Uh, Why is that the case? Because Darius actually had a policy called repatriation of national gods. And what does that mean? I don't know. No, I'm kidding. What that means is this. The Babylonians, as a general rule, would, would conquer a land and take the gods in, right? You remember the first chapter? They took the vessels from the temple. However, Darius had a different strategy, repatriation. He would take the gods and send them back to which they came. So, in the meantime, everybody that was in exile would not have had their temple or their god or their structure or, or their religious preference So it could be that these men are coming to uh, Darius and say, Hey, you're a benevolent king, and these people don't have anybody to worship, so let's just let them worship you for 30 days. It could have been a really high possibility that they're appealing to Darius' benevolence and not his pride. But whatever it is, what does he do? He signs the bill. Verse 10 is absolutely remarkable. Now, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed. So here we see Daniel's unwavering resolve. Get this, folks. He's 85 at the least. 70 years of captivity. And it's almost up. Because Jeremiah says it's going to be 70 years. You're going to get that decree from Cyrus. And the people are going to be sent back. And you're going to pick up in Nehemiah where they're rebuilding the walls. Now, this is different. From the three Hebrew boys, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Because what, what does the king say? If you don't bow down, you're in the fiery furnace. This is different. This is just, just don't pray to anybody else and worship anybody for how long? 30 days. Now folks, it would have been really easy for Daniel to say, hey, this is just 30 days. I can just do a secret, quiet prayer walk through the streets. Right? I, I mean, seriously, that's what we could do. And, and Daniel, of course, in verse 10, doesn't do that. Uh, he could have uh, just said, hey, this is 30 days. I'm in a position that's way up. I'm better off alive and useful than dead and unuseful. Right? We think like that sometimes, don't we? Do I really need to make a mountain out of a molehill? Do I really need to stand up on this one issue? What Daniel resolved... Verse 10, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house and where he had opened his windows in his upper chamber, opened toward Jerusalem. Prayer is a rare word used in Daniel. He opened the windows and prayed. The title, the actual word, means seeking God. So it's better rendered that Daniel, three times a day, worshipped God. Wow. 
He didn't worship Darius for 30 days. As was his custom. There was some regularity to what Daniel did. He didn't just come to church on Sunday morning and worship. Hello. Hallelujah. Yeah, amen. If this is all you think worship is, you've missed it. If you're not worshiping Monday through Saturday, then you're not worshiping the king at all. And here's the thing I want to remind you of. He's opening his windows toward heaven. Why? Because he had a conviction that to neglect the worship of God is idolatry. I bet none of you have ever thought about that in this church. If you have, raise your hand. Raise your hand if you've ever thought about that. Oh, there's one. I'm not surprised, right? To neglect, to worship Yahweh God is idolatry. Because He's the only God. Right? So Daniel knew that. It wasn't just bow down to Darius. It was, I have to worship the king. Because not to worship him is to neglect worship, which in in turn is idolatry. He knew it was so important that he worshiped the king. You say, well, is this just superstition that he opened his windows toward Jerusalem? No, it's not. Because in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 46, good night. I just don't have enough time to preach, do I? I mean, let's just be honest. I got two minutes left, according to my watch. I don't pay attention to this watch, and y'all know that, right? I'm not going to read. Would you please write down 1 Kings 8, 46? And it carries down through about verse 48. But it reminds us that God told the Israelites, when you find yourself in captivity, here's what you do. You repent of your sins. And you, with faith, you pray toward the city. You pray toward Jerusalem. The power wasn't in Jerusalem. The power was in the God who told them to pray toward Jerusalem. Okay? When you do that, and Daniel's just, this guy was saturated in the Bible. He knew what he believed, and he earnestly sought the face of God with windows wide open. He did it three times a day for everyone to see. Now, I do need to do this for you, because I believe that Daniel wrote Psalm 119, right? I do believe that. But notice, here's what he could have been doing in his praying. 119.23, just listen. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Verse 51, the insolent utterly deride me, but I do not turn away from your law. Verse 61, though the cords of the wicked ensnare me, I do not forget your law. Verse 69, the insolent smear me with lies, but with my whole heart I will keep your precepts. Uh, Skipping me, down to verse 84, how long must your servant endure? When will you judge those who persecute me? Uh, I'm skipping many of them, but 110. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. Folks, what was at the center of Daniel's thinking in all of this? Honoring the Lord God and His Word. He was going to be faithful to God. Why? Because God was faithful to him. So he walked straight up to his chamber with determination in his heart, with resolve. He opened his windows toward Jerusalem, and he worshipped the Lord God. And even though those men were conspiring against him, he knew there was a God that controlled all things. Do you know that? Right? That's what was in his mind. Now, would it make a substantial difference in our lives or in the life of this church if prayer were banned for 30 days? Some of us may not even think anything about prayer being banned for 30 days because we hadn't prayed in 30 days. But would it make a difference? Well, something to think about, isn't it? So they knew they would see him kneeling. And in verse 11, Daniel is sentenced. They plotted, they waited. 
Slam number one, he's an exile from Judah, and he's paying no attention to you, O great king. Slam number two, you you signed the injunction, the law of the Medes and the Persians. So his piety is not something he slipped up with once. He does this three times a day. He worships the kings. He worships the Lord. So he's a treasonous, right? He's violated the law of the Medes and Persians. So immediately, the Bible says that Darius is distressed. What happened to old Nebuchadnezzar when they didn't bow before him? Guy gets ticked. Seven times hotter. Throw him in there. Darius loves Daniel. So he's distressed in his mind. Why? Because of the conspiracy. But if a Persian king gave a death sentence, and then even later found out that the person was innocent, the law was still irrevocable. That an innocent man could not be let go from death penalty no matter what the evidence was, once the injunction was signed. Well, that doesn't seem fair, does it? Well, that's what happened. So remain faithful to God, even when it will cost you. Number two, God delivers and honor his faithful servant. Look at verse 16. Then the king commanded Daniel, uh, the king commanded, and Daniel was brought into the ca- and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. Remember what Nebuchadnezzar said? Who's the God that's going to deliver you? Boy, Darius turns that around and says, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. Anybody uh, kind of feel anything right there? Stone laid over the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then, at the break of day, the king arose and went went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. Awesome! Isn't it? My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths. And they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And I also before you, O king, have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And therefore the king commanded that those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. Check this out. In case you think they were gentle lions. They, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones into pieces. Well, again, you know in the ancient world, kings like to have zoos. I've watched this on TV, right? But the height of their zoo was a lion, right? Why? Because they wanted to show it as a symbol of their authority and their supremacy. Uh, They pick the one who's the king of all the animals to do this. And so they place, the Bible reminds us, uh, it it would be a den of lions and it would be to the king, supreme. And so this is where Daniel is cast. They place him in it. They roll a stone over the mouth of the den. It's sealed with the signet of Darius and the nobles. Again, on one hand, they do that because it's irrevocable. Law of the Medes and Persians. On the other hand, and just, just in case God may deliver and there's some foul play going on. Right? Let's put the signet on it. Now, have you ever noticed 
that we hear about Darius' night, but nothing about Daniel's? Who cares about the king? We want to know what's going on in the lion's den, correct? I, I, I kind of get the picture. We know the answer, but you kind of get the picture that he's 85, right? And he gets the strength of Samson. <laughs> or, or David. He just, mm, just rips him to pieces. We, we wonder what's going on in the night. Of course, we know that the, the Lord sent the angel of the Lord to shut their mouths. But the fact is, how was Daniel living? How was he praying? Again, Psalm 119, verse 16, verse 121, and verse 165. For the sake of time, if you didn't get that, I'm sorry. But Daniel makes it through the night. And the way Daniel tells the story is amazing. Stone rolled over the mouth and sealed. Someone was up early in the morning. Running to see if he's alive. Darius goes there with anticipation. You know, he at least has a glimmer that God Almighty is going to act, doesn't he? Folks, you didn't survive a den of lions. It didn't happen. At least he had a glimmer of what was going on. If you doubt this, watch what he does. He calls out to a man that's been thrown in the pit of lions. Right? Daniel, did your God deliver you? Do you think Darius knew about the fiery furnace? Talk to me, we're going to be here to 12. Right? Did he know about Nebuchadnezzar's insanity? Lycanthropy? Yes. Surely he had heard. Boy, this was new and fresh. Surely he had heard about the handwriting on the wall. So he rushes to the tomb. Hey, have you ever gone to the mailbox with great anticipation? When Nathan and I were in seminary, we bolted down the hill to that little... We lived in the gospel ghetto. Boy, if the mailbox came in and there was some mail in there that we might could pay our rent for one more month, that was exciting, wasn't it? Yeah, boy. Anticipation. Can you imagine Darius approaching the tomb? He just waits and he hears, O king, live forever. In our modern day, he would have probably said something like, Dude! I sure hoped you would answer, but you really did. You're alive. Amazing. An angel of the Lord shut the mouth of the lions. Thus Hebrews 11. By faith shut the mouths of lions. Right? Now I can't prove this, but that angel could have easily been the pre-incarnate Son of God. Coming down. Again. In the tomb. Right? God the Father could say, there he is again, son, right there, in trouble, once again. Go down there and fix it. Been real easy, right? Could have easily been the Son of God. I can't prove that. You can't prove that either in Hebrew and in Daniel 3. But I think there's a parallel that you need to see in chapter 7. We're going to transition, okay? No more stories. No more narratives. Everything from here on out is going to be prophetic, beginning in chapter 7. Here's the deal. Here's the connection. What does Daniel call Babylon in chapter 7? A lion. Come on, you're not thinking with me. So, there's definitely a parallel. Daniel's deliverance is going to be a foreshadowing of the nation's deliverance. It's a virtual death and resurrection story. Where Daniel was as good as dead, but God brought him forth. And then God is going to take the Israelites, who are virtually dead, Ezekiel 37, dry bones. You ever heard that? Absolutely, completely dead. God is going to breathe life into them through the preaching of the word. And bang! 
They're going to stand up like an army. Okay, so there is a connection there. And then uh, let me skip on down. There's no mark on him. Why? He trusted God. Uh, he trusted in the God whose character never fails. Psalm 1, 1987. Uh, they brought the accusation. The ones who brought the accusation got a free trip to the king's zoo. And it wasn't good. Just think about this. Ravenous lions. Bone-crushing power. Don't ever think that Daniel survived because they were gentle lions or they didn't like kosher food. Right? This proves without any... Uh, if it was foggy to you, let this be clear. They died quickly. So, just like Haman would be hung on the gallows that were prepared for Mordecai. Thus they died. Final point. Quickly, God will make his name great among the nations. All right, verse 25. Think about this theme. This theme carries through Daniel 7 through 12 and also the book of Revelation. Okay, we've got to connect this together. We're going to change gears. But I trust you see the connection. In chapters 2, 3, and 4, King Nebuchadnezzar begins to continually praise uh, God in a reverent way. In chapter 5, there's no such praise with Belshazzar and he dies quickly, right? And then, here's Darius who gives a song... For he is a living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end of the age. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the lion's den. So, the greatness of our God. That's the theme. God is in control. He will make his name great. And so, Darius' song is unlike the rest of them. He encapsulate, encapsulates all great theology that's going to move us to the unfolding of the history. And guess what? God is in control of all history. Just as he made his name great in Daniel 6, actually in every chapter in the book of Daniel, he's going to do the same thing. Darius', Darius' edict is different from Nebuchadnezzar. Isaiah 44, God is going to raise him up, call him an anointed one. He's going to be a messianic figure that's going to allow the Jews to go back to their homeland and build the city walls and the temple. God causes even unbelievers to anticipate his glory. To proclaim His glory. To acknowledge His glory. And the language is actually anticipating the glorious eschatological missionary promise of Revelation 5 and 7. You got that on tape if you want to hear it again, right? Seriously. It's the end times. And this, this shows us the way. Folks, here it is. If you belong to Jesus, you're going to win and you're going to win big. If you trust in God, everything's going to be okay. That doesn't matter if you're... Pre-meal, a-meal, post-meal, doesn't matter if you're pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib. I promise you this, you're going to go up when I go. Right? It's all going to work out. Why? Because God Almighty controls all things. We don't need to sit and worry about Iran and Iraq tonight. We need to understand that God is in control. He controls all things. And could He be up to something? You better believe it. He's always up to something. But God controls all things. Now here's the final thing I want to say to you. As a, as a point of application. If you're saved today, don't think it's strange when you get persecuted for living for Jesus. Now, I'm talk, there's a difference in maybe the city of Ozark, God forbid, would have stand up and say, we don't want the Ten Commandments in our courthouse. That's bad. But I want to tell you, there's a difference between civil religion and persecution. That's not persecution. Okay, should we be mortified? Yeah, we don't like it. Real persecution is, go over to Pakistan and live your faith. 
Real persecution is go to Iran and Iraq and live your faith. That's real persecution against Christ followers. And I just want to tell you, folks, don't think it's strange when you use the name of Jesus in a positive way in your workforce and people don't like it. You know, folks, uh, what better year than 2020? Some people have argued, is this the ending of a decade or beginning of a decade? Who cares? Here's the deal. Those who seek to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Daniel was, and Jesus said this. If they hated me and called me of the devil, what are they going to call you? If they hated me, they're going to hate you. So I'm just asking you to put your faith on the line, right? I'm just asking you to be willing to live for Jesus, even though it may cost you. Amen? Amen. All right. I had a whole lot more to say, but let's stop right there. Don't think it's strange when you're persecuted for living for Christ. Go ahead. It might cost you, but be faithful to the God who's been faithful to you. Trust Him. And you, you may not escape the lion's den. You may very well die. But Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I want to remind you at the end of Hebrews 11, it says there were many who were martyred for the faith. And the world was not worthy of them. Well, that's awesome. You're going to win big any way you draw it up, folks, if you belong to Jesus. Father, help us. Lord, what determined faith. Immediately when that document was signed, Daniel continued to do what he had done before. He worshipped the king. God, help us to worship you. God, help us to worship you, Lord God. Help us to really have that conviction that to not worship you, to neglect to worship you, is idolatry. Because you alone are worthy of our worship. Let us not withhold it. Lord, for believers today, God, embolden us with this kind of determination. Resolve. Why? Because we can trust you. You're the God who delivers. You're the God who honors his servants. Lord, help us to believe that and to know it. For lost people, Lord, there was another time when people ran to the tomb with anticipation. And it was empty. And there's never been a greater victory than the victory of Jesus over our sin. Lord, what an awesome, awesome deliverance. All of this points to the Christ who would come down from heaven and live among us as fully God, yet taking on our manhood to be fully man and yet never sinning one time. And Lord, you took that perfect body to the tree of Calvary and bore our sin in your body. But you didn't stay in the grave. You were gloriously resurrected. And Lord, that anticipation means that you can save sinners. And Lord, if there's anyone in this building lost, may they put their trust in Jesus. Paul said, I declare unto you the gospel of first importance, that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he rose again. We thank you for the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.